Just really quick, I wanted to remind you all that the Games and Online Harassment Hotline is here for you, for your friends and your colleagues. We provide emotional support to folks who make or play games, which is such a broad range of people. So, you know, you might not need it today, but maybe you need it tomorrow. So we just want you to know about it. You can learn more at gameshotline.org. This is part of what makes comedy so complicated and, and interesting, right? Is like, is like, where does the humor lie? And like, what are we actually laughing at? And, and I think, you know, and it, we, you can look at it from so many different angles. And that's part of why it's worth us talking about on a show like this. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and I'm joined by a woman with whom I have finished many oversized novelty drinks at beachfront resorts, Carolyn Pettit. Gotta get that buried treasure. I, I wish that we could do that. Should we do that? Let's do that, Carolyn. Someday, someday. Yeah, we got to eat the pills at the bottom yeah. of oh. the bowl, though. And, and, sure. and listen to the dance remix of My Heart Will Go On. <laughs> yeah, let's reenact yes. Titanic while we're drunk at the at the beachfront resort. Yeah, cool. <laughs> All right, this week we're going to be talking about the new comedy Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, starring Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo. But before we get to that, we have a very special guest joining us this week. Charlie Jane Anders is an accomplished and wonderful writer whose books include All the Birds in the Sky, The City in the Middle of the Night. She also is the co-host of the podcast Our Opinions Are Correct, which is an amazing podcast you should all be listening to. Her new young adult book is called Victories Greater Than Death. It's the first book in the Unstoppable trilogy, and it comes out later this month, like like in a week, I think. So y'all get those pre-orders in. But the very most important fact about Charlie Jane is that she's been a guest on the Feminist Frequency Star Trek podcast. <laughs> it's the greatest honor of my life. Yeah. <laughs> greatest, just the greatest honor of my life. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for joining us. Yay, thanks for having me. This is such a thrill. And, you know, I'm just so excited to hang out with y'all. And, you know, I am currently drinking an incredibly large, like, fruity drink with, like, mm-hmm. a wedge of pineapple in it and, like, 20 umbrellas and, like... You know, I feel like you're lying. I feel like Mars you've already, we're starting this podcast around. off with a lie. Get in the spirit of the <laughs> movie, Anita. Let's... I know. I'm really excited to have you on because I, shockingly, you've never been on the main podcast before, I which know. I feel like is such a shame. And, um, I, you know, I, I have shouted out your books in our freakouts constantly. Aww. I've said this to you many times, but I like your writing is so absolutely incredible and everyone should read everything you've ever written. That's my my sell. Is that a good sales pitch? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, gosh, a good book I, you know, I just want you to like follow me around telling people that like, you I know, will basically, like Man. be my like hype person like all the it's time. It's that, that thing be... where like when you love something so much, you just want Aww. everyone else to love it with you, you know, and so you're just like, that's that's, you know, I guess that's why they say word of mouth is the best marketing. Nobody's tried word of elbow, you know, maybe <laughs> word of elbow is the best marketing, but we just haven't given it a shot yet. You know? Yeah. I yeah. don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. But uh, I just want everyone to know that um, the bonus episode this week is going to be public. So all of y'all who are not patrons who want to get in on that, you will have an opportunity to take a listen where we're going to talk more about Charlie Jane and her work and her new book that's coming out. So please um, check that out. It will be in your feeds, as is this thing. So just like mosey on through into that episode. Yay.
I'm going to save more of my gushing for the bonus episode, but how is everyone doing today? Hanging in there. It's Monday. I don't know when this, I forget which day this podcast gets released, but we're recording it on a Monday and it's a very sort of Monday sort of Monday. But, Isn't it you though? know, it's, it's all good. I'm doing, I'm doing okay. It does. It does feel like a Monday, Monday. I actually took a weekend for the first time in a long time mm. and I like, rode my bike a bunch and was like in nature and it was really lovely. And then I woke up today and was like, oh God, it's Monday. (laughs) Like all of that joy just like disappeared. (laughs) It's Yeah, for me, it's really interesting. Like I, I know I talk about this a lot during our intro banter segments, but like I'm trying, I'm really trying to, you know, I, I think I'm realizing more and more that like I am a person who needs like, um, you know, rest time and like I need to have those boundaries in my life between work and rest and everything to just so that I can work better when I do work. Like I need my my brain needs time to to not be working and and my body does too. But but it's you know for all of our talk as a society, all this like increased emphasis on like self care and like this the you know the rhetoric around like rest and everything. It doesn't mean that society is actually shifting to make that like more possible for people, right? So there's a real, there's a tension between like this understanding of like, well, I need to do this for myself or it would be good for me to do this for myself and like what's actually, you know, possible under the rigors of, you know, capitalism and all that fun stuff. So I don't know. Yeah. Just a, a little light, a little light thinking I've been doing lately on that topic, you know. Wait, so taking a bath doesn't like, you know, isn't like make your life all better? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, a bath can be really nice. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, you know, I think I I, I think we need I, I, I hope I hope so many things come out of long term of this pandemic and the the things that the fissures that it has emphasized in our society and all that. But one of those things is certainly like a reevaluation of of like our our, our very, I mean, perhaps particularly American, like emphasis on like hustle work, like every, you know, 24 seven, make your hobby a side hustle and like pour everything mm-hmm. into just, just everything should be part of like your brand and like making money and like everything. And like that, you know, that just leaves me absolutely like fried and spent mm-hmm. and like with nothing left to give and like no creative energy on which to draw and all of that. So anyway, it's uh, not it's not sustainable for for me and for a lot of a lot of people, I think. Commodify your uh, discotheque. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's it's I feel that very deeply, especially right now. I'm I'm in the you know, I'm run, running up sure. in the run up to a marketing a book and I'm just basically like, mm. how can I turn myself into a commodity that, you know, people mm. will want mm-hmm. to buy a piece of in the form of this book? I did mm. actually this weekend discover a great and wonderful form of self-care, which, you know, mm. I don't necessarily recommend to everybody depending on your f- mm. views about alcohol, but uh, <laughs> there is a bar near my house that has been doing cocktails to go and I discovered oh. that they will do hot buttered rum to go in basically like a, like a cardboard like coffee to-go cup with like the sippy lid. Wow. Like basically it looks exactly like you just got your like a latte or whatever, but it's like rum butter cinnamon sugar and like a lot of sugar basically mm. <laughs> and, you know it was just like it was kind of a cold night on friday night and it was just mm. this wonderful warm just mm. like yo ho ho of like you know of of self-acceptance and happiness that you know 
I was able no. to just get into bed with my cup of hot buttered rum and read a book and just like be like, okay, I am living. Look, you, really you gotta nice. find the things. Yeah, like yeah. you find like that. That's the <sighs> the thing about like you find just. And it's not like you have to do that every night and it's going to have the same kind of feeling, but like you you just really appreciating this one moment and this one experience mm-hmm. and this one flavor in your mouth and that whole like being mindful moment, whatever mm-hmm. that we all are trying to do, but is very hard. Like, I love that. I love that for you, Charlie Jane. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> going to hit the hot butter room again sometime in the next week. I don't know. Especially oh, yeah. like book launch week. There's going to be a lot of rum yes. in my, you know, I'm just going to like put an IV in and just like have rum dripping directly Yeah, those my- like stressful moments, you're just like everything, like it's just what are all the things I can do that make me feel better at all because, <laughs> you know, it's a lot. That's I, Having done one book launch, like that shit is bananas. Like it's so much, it's so challenging and difficult and it, it asks a lot of you. And you've done several now. <laughs> I have. And you know, yeah. it never it never gets easier. I mean, maybe eventually. I think if you finally reach a plateau of like a point where, you know, there's like an army of people who just think that you're, you know, the cat's pajamas and will just like run out and buy your stuff immediately, you could kind of like leverage that. But you know, if you're most of us have to keep hustling and you just yeah, gotta keep absolutely. at it. And like it's crazy. Yeah. Speaking of, we watched a movie. <laughs> We did. <laughs> We're going to talk about this movie that was watched by the three of us. Nice. <laughs> well, let's do that. Hey, Barb. Yes, Star. You know what I just love? What? Movie trailers. <gasps> Me too. I like how they're little movies about another movie before a different movie. Sometimes I find myself watching a trailer for a movie while I'm watching a totally different movie. What? Me too. <gasps> Barb, what if we had a movie? What? <laughs> Then we'd have to have a trailer. Oh, yes, listen, I wouldn't want to give anything away, though, about the movie. Me neither, especially our faces. Gosh, I can almost see our trailer now. All right, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, sees Kristen Wiig reunite with her bridesmaid co-writer, Annie Mumolo. Here, the two co-stars, Barb and Star, two best friends whose lives are turned upside down when the Jennifer Convertibles, where they work, sadly closes. Looking for adventure, the two decide on a whim to take a trip to the resort town of Vista Del Mar, Florida. Little do they know that their vacation puts them in the sights of a bitter supervillain, also played by Kristen Wiig, who has an elaborate and ridiculous plan to kill everyone in town. The cast also includes Jamie Dornan as Edgar, an agent in service to the supervillain who is also hopelessly in love with her. It's an unapologetically absurd comedy about the power of friendship, wearing culottes, and rediscovering your shimmer. Yeah. Okay. So, Charlie Jane, <laughs> I think I've established how much I respect you. Mm-hmm. I fucking hated this movie so oh, much. Wow. Okay. We're gonna. We're. This is gonna be interesting because I really loved I this movie, and I was the one who was like, "Let's talk about Barb and Star." It was so cute and fun, and like, obviously, we're gonna have. You know, there's gonna be a little. Yeah. I, well, you know, I am down for this though because here's the thing. So there, there are some things that I'm gonna bring up that I'm like, these are like representationally problematic issues. Sure. But the baseline of this, I believe, is just like a comedic style that I don't enjoy, which doesn't mean it shouldn't exist. And I think that that, well, I mean, it does mean that, but (laughs) but what I think is so interesting about it is like, I'm curious to hear your perspective on why you loved it so much, because it's just so like such a type of comedy that doesn't resonate for me at all. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, why I loved it, I think, was partly just like the warmth that uh, mm-hmm. Week and and Mumolo brought to their characters and to the the script that they wrote. Like, it just feels like it's very affectionate. Like that kind of th- this kind of movie does make me nervous on the face of it because I'm like, okay, is it going to be just like a mean parody of these like middle aged white ladies from the Midwest? Are we going to be laughing at them? Is it going to be like about how how sad and pathetic they are or how you know how limited their perspective is and i didn't feel like the movie ever went there i felt like the movie kind of gently you know kind of poked fun at their skewed perspective but also it it was a movie that had a lot of love and sympathy for them and the thing that i really loved about this movie that really won me over a hundred percent was the fact that it is a romance about friendship which is like one of my favorite kinds of story like i love it when there's like a movie in which a friendship is treated as like with the same weight and the same kind of like seriousness and like vitality that we give to stories about you know romance and and you know pairing off and like i feel like the beats of this movie were basically romance beats but they all had to do with the friendship between these two women and you know they kind of have all the thing of like they have a thing that comes between them and then they have misunderstanding and they kind of deceive each other. But then in the end they come back together. I'm giving spoilers. I'm sorry, but you know, oh, I, loved, <laughs> it's totally I loved that. It's a friendship romance. And I thought that that mm-hmm. was just so beautiful. And like, I just, I was rooting for the two of them to like, you know, have an awesome re- friendship. So I don't know, Carolyn, I feel like you're the tiebreaker because like, we have, <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, so, yeah. I, I, uh, I didn't love it. I didn't love it, but uh, but I think am I not loving it? You know, like it has to do like Anita. It's not. It, it's 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 rooted more in like like these characters and this type of comedy just didn't click with me personally. Like uh, like I find um, how how can I say this? Like um. Yeah, um, but there is like let me let me talk about something that I liked before before going because there is stuff about this film that I, that I liked quite a bit. So I think the villain in this film is really interesting, or you know that had and had qualities that did resonate with me because she is this like bitter you know figure, and she feels like ostracized by the world and you know and everything you know and and you know and um like. There were times where, you know, in as a as a trans person who has struggled with like bitterness because of I, ways that I feel, um, you know, impact my life is impacted by transphobia and things. Like whenever a character has like a kind of that that quality, I, I'm I'm like open to it. Like I'm I'm kind of like interested in it. I want to like I want to like study it a little bit and be like, okay, well, what's that about and how does it affect their lives? And so there is like a moment in the film where the character um, is talking about her plan or like why she has this plan and her little, her henchman, who's like a a young boy um, says something that this is like one of the few laughs that this movie got out of me Uh, because I I think this line is so good. She explains like her, her elaborate plan and why she's doing it. And he says, and I quote, I think your feelings are valid, and this is the only answer. Which oh, like, that was good. I like, did like that line that too. That was a really good line. <laughs> I, like, I think there is a wisdom in this film of like, you know, like your you your feelings can be valid. Like, you can have valid reasons to be angry at the world, 
But that doesn't mean that like acting on that bitterness or carrying that bitterness around is like good or right or justified, right? And like, but to come back around to maybe part of why I didn't like this movie so much or why it just didn't quite click with me, um, in the end, like this character has this moment of like, um, of like, you know, and it's kind of presented in, in this, um, you know, big, like happy, like resolution, life lessons learned kind of thing where she's on the beach and all these people are like, you know, I'll be your friend. I'll be your friend. I'll be your friend. I'll be your friend. <laughs> and like, this is that like, for me, I guess part of why I felt a little alienated by this movie is that, is that it's depiction of friendship both with regard to Barb and Star and this, like, resolution at the end, didn't, like, it, it was nothing like what I want the friendships in my life to look like or to feel like. It didn't feel authentic. It didn't feel, it all felt, like, kind of, like, limited by these, like, ideas that people have to fit into. And, like, you know, people will sometimes say to me on Twitter, like, I'll talk about my loneliness. And some rando will DM me and be like, hey, I'll be your friend. But it's like, oh, my God. Wow. But it's like, but it's like you, know, you, can't just say, you can't just say, like, this movie does, like, I'll giggle about bo boobs and butts with you. Like, that's not friendship. Like, friendship is, friendship is something that, that emerges out of, like, an actual connection over, like, things it's not just you you know it's not it's more than just two people like agreeing to be friends and so like i don't know uh, um obviously and i think the film is, is is it's doing a lot with like with ideas of female friendship and with how they can be um with how like like a superficial kind of acceptance or warmth can actually be, be kind of fucked up. Like, I think particularly in the, in the, we see this in the talking group that all the women have mm -hmm. where one woman wants to talk about a particular thing, but the other woman is like, no, you, you have to only talk about the topic you pull out of the jar. <laughs> but, it, and it's all in this really like nice, like superficially, like nice, polite way, but it's actually like extremely fucked up. But, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. I, I, like, that I really liked because I thought, well, that's an interesting... It's, it's drawing comedy on, like, like performative friendships that don't actually allow people the space to be real. But, I don't know. I just I felt like... I, I wanted to see a little more in this film that actually felt real to me. And I, 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 you know, and I know that Barb and Star are very different types of women from me, and that's fine, and that's great. I just... I felt like this whole movie uh, was a bit a bit like the kind of uh, chintzy, facade Florida resort, like, thing that it's obviously spoofing and satirizing. But, like, the, I don't know. I felt like, like, I wanted a little bit more of, of a core that felt, that felt real to me. But anyway, that's my, anyway, that's my messy sort of ramble and rant about, about my basic reactions to this film. Yeah, uh, can I jump back in? I you please know, no please I, please that yeah. I feel like you know it's funny because listening to both of you talk, I usually do not like this type of comedy, which is part of why I was surprised that I liked this one so much. I don't usually like the kind of Saturday Night Live inspired mm. kind of like we're gonna take a bit and like a stock character and just make him last two hours kind of movie. And like I feel like. You know, I have a very, very, very mixed track record with a lot of like the kind of Judd Apatow, Paul Feig, mm. I don't know if I'm pronouncing their names correctly, type comedies that are, you know, about like women who are kind of messed up and, you know, 
are kind of we're kind of laughing at them but we're also laughing with them a little bit and like they're often like a little bit broad caricatures who we follow on some kind of adventure you know i feel like melissa mccarthy plays that kind of character a lot in a bunch of her Mm, movies uh Uh and you know i find a lot of those types of movies where they lose me is that they they spend too much time laughing at the characters first of all and second of all that um they kind of revel in in the characters being kind of bad people and just being kind of selfish jerks. And that's kind of like the default mode of comedy. It's also very improv heavy. So it's like, like comedians just like love to do like long scenes of like improving and like doing kind of like bits together. And I, I get very bored by that. And this movie, I think I, because it, I really did feel like this kind of gentle bond and connection between the two main characters. And like, yeah. they're just there. I felt like it came out in their banter. I felt like their banter as they kind of go back and forth and like, you know, and they're just like so excited about all this like ridiculous stuff. It just got me. It, like, it felt like they had a real friendship mm-hmm. and it did feel, it didn't mm-hmm. feel like a superficial friendship to me is the thing, I guess. It mm-hmm. felt like they were kind of married in a way. And you have this whole thing where like, there are these two women who's, who, who, are no used to be married. One of them is a widow. One of them is a divorcee and like they're on their own and all they have is each other and this like store and this talking group, which are not that great. And, you know, they're kind of, you kind of get this feeling at the start that they're in a bit of a rut, but that they have this like really kind of sweet bond that comes from them being kind of imaginative together. Like they just, they love to like Uh make up weird stories together. And it just felt like they were, even if they're kind of, a little bit caricature-ish. The fact that we spend so much time like admiring their kind of ability to spin weird ideas and weird jokes and just like little stories that they make up together about uh-huh. stuff feels like we're supposed to think of them as creative people rather than as just like losers or whatever. And so yeah. I think that's part of what won me over. And also it just, it felt like a very good natured kind of romp in which, and you know, the thing, one thing that I really like appreciated a lot was Early on in the film, spoiler alert, they have a threesome with this hot guy from like Fifty Shades of Grey. And, yeah, yeah. And it is never, ever, ever treated as like, oh, this is bad. Oh, best mm. friends shouldn't have a threesome with the same guy. Oh, we're sluts. We're going to be in trouble. Oh, gosh, this is, you know, like sex is bad or, you know, having a threesome with your best friend and some dude that you met in a bar is bad. It's never stigmatized. It's never treated as like, oh, we're pathetic middle-aged women who somehow got this hot 50 shades of gray dude into bed they're treated as if they're both extremely attractive which i also really appreciated so i felt like the movie Ah, kind of won me over by liking its characters i guess is what i would say i agree that this film likes its characters and that that is a huge plus for me like i i'm very turned off by like you know cynicism and like by by films that are you know if, if it had been you know, mocking the characters themselves and or any of that, it would have it would have really turned me off. And I do love that Jamie, like it's great to see Jamie Dornan having fun with his like image in a way in this film. and all and like a lot his character, I think, has some really, really great stuff. I, I you know, I did feel like the film was like a bit like star is the cute one, and Barb is like not the cute. Not the cute one, but that, you know, but maybe that's, I think I'm like oversensitive to things like that, where like, that's, you know, that's like a minor, that's a very minor thing. And uh, I think, I think that's a great, um, you know, defense of this film. Um, yeah. Thank I don't, you. I don't think that you're, um, I don't think you're totally off mm. on that uh, feeling. Um, and I, I, I sort of want to, 
slightly counter what you're saying, Charlie Jane, because I agree completely that like they I loved that the threesome wasn't stigmatized. I love that they just like were like, this is a great thing we did. And then like the the conflict comes out of the fact that they both want to see him again. Like not necessarily that they did this thing together and oh my God, I can't believe we got drunk and saw each other's butts, you know, or whatever. <laughs> um, but I do That's what think friends that there's, are for. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, is, you know, touching butts, right? I mean, what do you do with your friends? Um, so <laughs> um, I do think that it's walking a very fine line, though, of almost ridiculing them um, and almost saying that middle-aged women are not attractive and aren't sexual and that it's, it's a joke. Like, and I say it's walking a fine line because it does stuff like that. But the fact that Edgar and Star are like super, he's super into her, is in itself partly like the joke only works because it's so funny that middle-aged women aren't attractive, especially these middle-aged women. So like, I I think that it's really kind of a like, it's not like fully jump in the cliff, like over the edge on this one, but it's it still bothered me enough that I'm like this. None of this would be interesting or funny or a joke if we actually thought middle aged women were attractive. And I will say, too, that it's not just like middle aged women in general. It's like this very particular kind of classes stereotype of like dumb older women who have like nothing to live for. I mean, I, I do think I do think this film wants us to really like those characters. I, I don't think I the do, film, too. Yeah, I, I don't think the film is. I don't think the film is. Uh, I mean, like, uh, I think if, if it's it's we're supposed to laugh, you know, I mean, it is laugh with I mean, even though, you know, it's more laughing with them or or laughing in empathy or sympathy with them as they go, as they have these these adventures and these misadventures rather than like laughing at them because it's like we're all you know i mean i'm i am a mid, i am in that age group all currently already so you know i and i didn't uh but I, but all of us are gonna get there hopefully if we're lucky you know and beyond so i don't know i didn't feel like i mean the comedy is so this is part of what makes comedy so complicated and, and interesting mm-hmm. right is like is like where does the humor lie and like what are we actually laughing at and and i think you know and it, we, you can look at it from so many different angles and that's part of why it's worth us talking about on a show like this um and there's quite a few things in this movie that i noted that i was like um these are like this is kind of racist and this is kind of like there's just like little things here and there that i'm like as i like look at my list i'm like yeah there are all these little things that were kind of like tucked away and hidden um that i think are worth you know at least mentioning not and that's not me being like this movie is bad i just didn't like it in general (laughs) but like um the the when she's talking about how she has white skin, um, I was just like, this is really bordering on like, like albinism is a thing. Like albi- mm-hmm. albino people actually exist, and so like going rattling through the list of 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 like um, slurs that she faced with, like it felt more like making fun of like. It didn't feel like a representation of albino people as much. It was just like, oh, this works for our story and it's funny. So that kind of irked me a little bit. Yeah, that bothered me too. And that that was an issue. And I generally felt like the kind of supervillain character who I actually didn't realize was Kristen Wiig because I'm really bad at recognizing actors. Oh, um, I didn't either. <laughs> you know, I didn't either. Um, yeah. Really? You know, yeah. I, I feel like that character was was the weakest part of the movie and also was kind of like problematic and the idea the, the fact both her motivations and like this idea that like she faced 
discrimination for for albinism, which I think is kind of played for laughs in a way that made me really uncomfortable. And then also the thing where she's kind of forgiven very easily for trying to murder an entire town full of people. Like, it's just like, oh, well, you tried to kill us, but we'll all be your friend now. And I'm like, no. Uh, Once you try to murder me, you don't get to be my friend anymore. I'm sorry. You know, that's just like- No, no, no. There's a line when Star sees her and says, wow, she's really attractive. Like, that's the joke because it's the same actor. Uh, both uh, <laughs> see, I'm just like uh, so bad at recognizing actors. This used to get yeah, me in trouble okay. when I actually would have to have to like meet actors at Comic Con, and I'd be like, "I know I've seen you on something, but I have no idea." Like, you're like, "Did we go to school together?" <laughs> this happened to me a lot living in LA, where you're like, oh, "That guy looks really man. familiar," and you're like, "Did we go to school together?" You're like, "No, he was just, you know, the like secondary character on." A few seasons of Scrubs or something. Mm-hmm. I never watched Scrubs. I have no idea why that show appeared in my brain just now. Yeah, um, I mean, while we're while we're listing things that are kind of like issues with the film, I felt like Damon Wayans Jr. was was kind of weirdly used in the film, like as like this kind of bumbling spy who apparently wants to help commit mass murder, but it's never clear why he's you know he like especially since he's probably going to die along with everybody else. Why he's so into that idea? And and actually, I thought the Asian kid was like one of the weaker parts of the film. I thought that you know having like one of the few people of color be like this weird kind of cyber, car, cartoony supervillain sidekick uh, who brought yeah. up unfortunate associations with some sort of old school, you know, representations of of mm-hmm. Asian sidekick characters from like James Bond movies and stuff. That was another problem a, that I had. Yeah. This movie's a really good example of how, like, y- you kind of wedge people of color into a film because you can't have it be all white people, even though the movie yeah. is about all white people, you know? And, like, I made a note of that, too. And, like, you know, I even wrote, like, Maria's Latina. I don't remember who the fuck Maria is. Like, I like, I was just, like, there's there are characters in the world that are of color, but, like, they're just so not really important. And, mm-hmm. um... You know, that's kind of shitty. The thing I had the biggest issue with, though, were like uh, the allusions to indigenous peoples or indigenous cultures. Um, there's a moment where Andy Garcia plays Tommy Bahama and he comes right. out and he's like, like he heals like he heals a, a wound on uh, Barb with like, you know, a branch or a leaf or something. And he chants and he's very like sort of, quote unquote, medicine manny. Um and he like chants a line that Barb brings up again at the end. And I'm just like, please stop doing this. This is not okay. Um, and then major spoilers. If you don't want to hear this about the very, very end. Uh, I mean, you already, everyone who listens knows that this, we spoil everything. The very end is a quote unquote water spirit named Trish. Who's played by um, Reba McIntyre. Reba McIntyre. Thank you. And I was like, oh, no, this is all bad. Like, you clear, like, I was like, is the Tommy Bahama character, like, y'all just fucked up and didn't know any better? And I was like, no, you did it twice. Like, you literally pulled this out twice. Well, and then the last thing was that, like, there's a crab who's voiced by Morgan Freeman that's no, like. No, no, it's it's voiced by a comedian doing an impression of Morgan Freeman. But got it's, it. Like, the I meant to look is, that the up. The joke is that, that, it's, that it's the Thank voice you. of Morgan Freeman. So, Thank you. I would yeah. meant to look that up because I was like, is it? I don't know. Yeah, he just said he is, so maybe he is. But um, like that was also playing into racist tropes of like the quote unquote magical Negro, like giving advice, the like and I'm like, why are you doing this? This is not you could do there's so many other ways to do comedy here. Like, why do you need to pull this out in this in this area? So those were like the big things that I Right. Um, oh, sorry. One more thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
I'm and done after this one. Things. I well, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, no. I felt like there were like while I th- while I agree with both of you that the movie itself like cares about these characters. Um, I like there was little hints of classism in terms of who they are and like making fun of them. So like For when sure. they get off the plane in Florida, she one of them says it smells like red lobster, and like they get really excited about like all you can eat buffets and like shit like that. That I'm just like. Uh, I don't know. Like, it just irked me a little bit. Yeah. Hey, that's it. My list is over. <laughs> I laughed three times, to be fair. I have oh, three specific man. jokes that I laughed at. So I do have something I can bring to the table. <laughs> yeah. Are I, you ready? Yes. Tell us the three things okay. you laughed at, please. Okay. I laughed. So when they get to the hotel and they do that big song, the like hotel people mm. do the big dance. They referred to like healing and, and all of that as a soul douche. <laughs> that made me laugh. I thought it was funny. Nobody else thought it was funny. Okay. Just me. Fine. <laughs> no, I liked it. Um, there's a scene where um, a star and Edgar are rubbing sunscreen all over each other. <laughs> And I hate sunscreen so much and they were just covered in it. And I thought that that was really funny. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the last thing I laughed at is when um, Star says, I think your dong went up and touched my heart about like like, fucking too much and then falling in love, which I thought was amusing. I loved Edgar. So before Edgar, you know, starts falling in love with um, Star, um, I loved his obsession with the term official couple. Yes. Like, we're gonna be, was... Are we going to become an official couple? <laughs> like, like that's a thing. Like, that's a thing that adults in their like thir- 30s and 40s or whatever are like, we're an official couple now, which I mean, I'm sure they're up, but it's just so like yeah, high school so, kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> and I don't know. I just found that very. And then like the two books that they both read, the self-help books by the same author. Oh, those were good too. See, there were some things. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, look. I'm, like, I'm saying this to me to be like, yeah. there were some things I enjoyed. And yeah. I mean, my God, Kristen Wiig is a tremendous comedic talent. Like, I will still go back and watch some of her, like, SNL skits just because her characterizations and her energy and her physicality, like, make me laugh so much. And, you know, so I like, I mean, I like her a lot. And, um, you know, uh, yes. I mean, I'm, uh, anyway. I liked a lot. There are things, definitely a lot of things about about this film that I liked. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I would, you're right about some, a lot of your criticisms, Anita. I would categorize this as sort of a problematic fave, I guess. It's like, mm-hmm. it's a movie that I really do love and appreciate that I will freely acknowledge has some issues uh, with some of its representation. It's definitely a movie about whiteness and about white people, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, uh, much, much like, I don't know, much like a lot of other movies I've seen recently, I was going to start naming names, but I don't want to like start getting into like, just, you know, <laughs> but uh, I'll just, let me just start that over. This is definitely a movie about white people and about whiteness. And, you know, it's attempts to be inclusive are kind of a little bit counterproductive in that way, because it actually just draws attention to how much it's really about whiteness versus, you know, and I think that they, they didn't really kind of think, you know, Wig and Mumolo writing the script didn't really think deeply about how to, create a more inclusive world and how to kind of represent Florida, which is actually, I mean, I've never been to Vista Del Mar, but Florida is a pretty diverse place. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel entirely like they've, they've, they've thought deeply enough about creating an inclusive world. But I think that this is a movie that kind of wants to be about whiteness in a way. And that is kind of, you know, about like this particular 
I don't know these 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 particular characters who are in some ways I think defined by their whiteness and and their whiteness is kind of a big part of you know what they share they have this kind of like you know midwestern uh I feel like I'm rambling now I'm just gonna stop okay. so we could cut me no. off with, with what they share kind of <laughs> I was actually <laughs> curious um like if this isn't the kind of humor that you normally go for like how did you get introduced to this movie you know, I saw a lot of people raving about it online, including some people who I think are like really tough critics and really, and you know, tend to not like a lot of movies were really singling this one out as like, this is the comedy of the year kind of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I just, I really like Kristen Wiig and, you know, I like her specifically in a comedic role. Um, and I think that, you know, she's often the best thing in a lot of movies. Like she was the, there was this movie, Paul, that like, uh, Ed, that uh, uh, the uh, God now I'm blanking on their names. Uh, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. Right, oh, there was right. this movie Paul that Nick Frost <laughs> and Simon Pegg did like ten years ago, and Kristen Wiig is in that as like a religious woman who meets an alien and becomes an atheist, and she just like steals <laughs> that movie. She steals it completely. Like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are just kind of playing stock nerd characters as as far as I can remember, and Kristen Wiig just runs away with the movie. She just like is like, see ya, I, this movie is mine now. And so I've always really liked her. And I just, I, I'm a sucker for stories about friendship, like I said. And I, I feel like that's, I will have, I have a lot of time for a movie that celebrates friendship and that doesn't kind of like denigrate or, or kind of, you know, belittle the idea of friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, longtime listeners will know that Ebony and I talk a lot about like, platonic hetero friendships and how rare they are on camera on cinema and cinema and how like you know it's one of the reasons why we both loved elementary so much is that like um the the two main characters never like fall in love (laughs) you know they're just like really good close friends and that's such a treat uh to to see um I, i listened to something recently uh, it was a critic talking about Promising Young Woman, which obviously completely different genre and style, <laughs> but talking about like that, you know, what was so interesting about it is that it was ultimately about friendship and almost like um, um, she, the critic was talking about it from a perspective of being mostly asexual and how like everybody was discounting how close they were and discounting why she would still care after all this time. And that, like, there was something really valuable to her in that representation of just how, like, how close uh, this friendship was that she would be grieving it for so, so long. And and I was like, yeah, man, totally. <laughs> like, I can I can see that reading, um, not to get into that movie. But, um, yeah, I'm with you. I love friendship. And I'm excited to talk more about friendship in the bonus <laughs> when we talk yeah. about your book, oh, Victory is Greater Than Death. How is that for a transition? That was a All right. <laughs> beautifully smooth and seamless and just like seamless, super, yeah, super graceful transition. 10 out of 10. Well, I'm going to actually, it was more like a plug. But anyways, y'all, um, we, you know, Based on whose argument you found more compelling, I guess you watch the movie or don't. Um, you know, see see if this is your kind of thing. You might enjoy it and uh, l- let us know somehow. I don't know how you do that. I, people just say that. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, like, we like, are on Twitter. I mean, people yeah. do have a way For of finding sins. us if they if they want to if they want to find <laughs> That's us. True. Yeah, our patrons, our Discord. Oh, yes. There are lots of places to talk yes. to us about this. So yes. All right, y'all. We will be right back to share some of our freakouts. Yay. 
Hey, are you enjoying the show? If you are, we would love you to support us to keep making it. You know, if you become one of our patrons, not only are you going to do that and allow us to keep making this every week, but also you get access to some perks like bonus episodes, uh, participate in polls to determine future episodes, access to our Discord server, which is only available to patrons, uh, and, you know, I don't know, other things. If you love us, help support us. You can do that at patreon.com slash femfreak. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week or multiple weeks because we are just back from a break. Charlie Jane, what what's given you feels? You know, I am just so in love with the second season of Batwoman, which is, you know, this mm-hmm. uh, superhero show on the CW. It's like part of the Arrowverse. It's like, you know, the 10th or 15th spinoff of Arrow and The Flash and all those shows. <laughs> and, you know... The first season of Arrow, oh, sorry, the first season of Batwoman was very much a family saga about like Batwoman, Kit Kane, and her evil sister, and her kind of evil dad, and her nice stepsister, and her, you know, ex girlfriend. And it was like very like in the family, and it was like everybody was pretty much either related to her or part of her extended family in some way. And it was all just like, what do you do when your twin sister is basically the Joker? And you're Batwoman. And like, that was a fun concept. But I actually feel like season two, where they've opened it up a lot. And now Batwoman is a different character. Ryan Wilder, played by Javicia Leslie. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Uh, season season two, has a because of this recasting or this new character, has a much wider scope. It's suddenly not like this kind of tight family uh, saga anymore and it's much it's a little bit more concerned with like larger questions of like justice and equality and inclusion and having an african-american batwoman who has actually been on the wrong side of kind of the criminal justice system because she was sent to prison for a crime that she didn't commit in the past really kind of changes the whole dialogue in the the show about like policing and about uh you know how whether Batwoman should be working with the cops and also there's these private security people named Crows. And the show is clearly, at least I hope, clearly setting up a romance between the new Batwoman and Sophie, who is the ex-girlfriend of the old Batwoman. And Sophie oh. is part of this private security kind of uh, cop squad who actually arrested, she doesn't know this yet, but she actually arrested the new Batwoman in the past for crimes that she didn't actually commit. And so they have this really sparky, interesting relationship in which they keep challenging each other. And it's just, it is the, you know, lesbian Black Lives Matter, you know, superhero vigilante story that I have been desperately craving. And it's, I think it's just, it's, it's a, it's a actually a way better show in this season. I think it's just, it's just really kind of taking off and I'm so happy to, to see it kind of spreading its wings. Can you just get started in the second season? Like, does the first season matter to comprehension of the second season? I would say you can definitely pick it up with season two. There might be like a tiny bit of stuff that you're going to be like scratching your head, but just glance at Wikipedia. Honestly, all you really need to know is that, you know, Batwoman's dad tried to kill her 
like the original Batwoman, the Kate Kane's dad tried to kill her at the end of season one. And so now there's like some drama about like, my dad tried to kill me kind of stuff. But Kate Kane doesn't even <laughs> turn up for the first like several episodes of season two. So it's well, mostly, I, it feels like very much like a, a, a soft reboot. The start of season two feels like it's a whole new show and like everything is brand new. And we're kind of following a new character who wasn't in season one. So I think I actually have been telling my friends don't worry about season one. Just jump right in with season two, and I think you'll be fine. And you can cool. Yeah, I watched the first episode or two of season one and bounced hard off of it. And I'm that's saying a lot because I did watch like all of Arrow, even though I hated it, and I just kept watching it anyway. <laughs> I loved Arrow, man. I love all those shows. I mean, I'm a sucker for like the Arrowverse. They're my, they're like my depression shows. We've talked about this before, about how like I'll get depressed and just like watch all of it, like a whole season. I mean, not a season. I'll watch an entire like six seasons in like two days somehow and just like veg out and just be sad in life about things. And then I'll like, once I'm done with it, I'm like ready to be back in the world somehow. Just, it sucks because sometimes it takes a really long time to get through it all. But um, yeah, cool. That's good to know. I'm I'm actually it's making me a little more curious about it. So thank it's you almost for like that. when you're feeling bad, you need to just go be on an island by yourself for five years, and then when you're ready, you can like <laughs> shoot an arrow, like a flaming arrow, at, like a pile of junk, and someone will come and get you and take you back to civilization. It's the salmon ladder. I'm sorry. It's I'm just I will be a hundred percent superficial. I'm so impressed with that goddamn salmon ladder. <laughs> and then I just love that that became a like a running gag with like everyone who's fit on the show then does the salmon ladder. And you're like, yeah, because you got your shoulders and your abs and everything about you. You're so CW. They're all mm-hmm. CW characters, you know? <laughs> they are. There is a time. Uh, all right. Cool. Uh, enough about that. Carolyn, please yeah. bring us something less trashy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, hey, no, that sounds no, that sounds great. But um, yeah, my freak out this week is a book called Afro Pessimism by Frank Wilderson the Third. And this book is it is a combination of like critical theory and personal memoir. And I am not a great reader of critical theory. Like I, you know, if language gets too dense, um, I will, you know, start to struggle with it. I don't, I don't typically read things that are very like academic, you know, in their, in their language. But this book really, um, um, it really does fuse like the most beautifully written and powerful sort of memoir with a, a theoretical, like, framework so that basically what Wilderson is doing in Afro in this book Afro pessimism is making a, an argument about how uh, uh, that, that's about how like anti-blackness works in the in the world and you know he is and I'm not going to try to even begin to like explain the details of his argument because you know, I mean, it's a very rigorous, very thoughtful, very detailed argument that I couldn't even scratch the tiniest surface of, you know, here. But um, suffice it to say for purposes of this that like, you know, he he's arguing that that anti-blackness serves a different purpose and functions very differently from like other forms uh, uh, you know, of like racist oppression in the world. And and that that therefore it's important and it's important for us to understand the, the, those differences in function, if we are to have any hope of like actually 
um, uh, addressing it and dismantling it. And so in his view, for instance, um, like if we lump, um, you know, all, all uh, sort of forms of racist oppression together um, it, and don't like talk about like and really like look at it and, 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 and address the, the, the different way, like the ways that anti-blackness functions differently, um, we're, we're actually like obfuscating the issues and making it in some ways harder to to dismantle and to to challenge that you know um uh anti-blackness and so um but what's you know really interesting too i mean the stories that he tells about his life i mean life in this um book are so like illuminating and again so beautifully written and so powerful but you know he'll also tell stories about um say you know encountering like white academics at conferences and like how in their feelings they get about just the very idea like just the very idea of him trying to address anti-blackness in a really serious way so for instance like white women will will you know but he will simultaneously be ac accused of playing like quote-unquote oppression olympics which is a term he uses at certain points you know but also like by white women who are like who are essentially saying no, but but we have it, you know, worse or whatever, you know. And I think we can. All we have to do, you know, in my view, is look at into, you know, things like the, the what was it Sarah Cooper incident or whatever the bird watching incident, you know, or like all the the Karens calling on you know black barbecues all over the country or whatever to see that whiteness is aligned with institutional power in, in ways that that you know, blackness is not. Um, but um, I don't, I mean, I guess, you know, it's, there's a quote on the back, uh, well, there's a number of quotes by various like thought leaders and important, you know, intellectuals and uh, poets and things. And like Claudia Rankine says, uh, the poet Claudia Rankine says, there are crucial books that you don't agree with, but one still comes to understand the importance of the thought experiment. Afro-pessimism is one of those books. So like the, the ideas laid forth in this book are very, provocative but they like i am changed in some ways by reading this book because these are ideas that you can't like unread and you can't get out of your head after you you read them and certainly like it's not for me as a white person to say like yes his theoretical framework is correct or no it's not correct or, or what have you um, but i do think that dismantling white supremacy and dismantling anti-blackness is our responsibility as white people and i will say that as a white person i think that the ways in which he diagnoses, like the ways in which he describes whiteness and how whiteness functions as a collective, as a, as a cultural force are like absolutely correct. You know, he has our number, like he, he understands whiteness very well with regard to, to blackness. And so, you know, I encourage people to, you know, it, to read this book, you know, you will, you, you won't, again, you, you're, you, it will, you, it has ideas of such potency and power in it that you will not be able to like forget, uh, the experience of having read it. It's, it's quite remarkable. Nice. I, that quote, man, I like, I feel like that is so telling of where the publisher and author are at to be able mm -hmm. to put that quote on their book jacket. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I kind of love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm totally going to hunt uh, that down. It sounds amazing. It's it's really something. It really is. Yeah. I'm going to have a small freak out this week, if mm -hmm. I may. Of course. Um, I want to shout out Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse. Oh, my God. Yes. 
I actually just pulled up Goodreads to remember what it was called, and your review is the first one under like ah. on like people you know. I'm like, oh, Charlie Jane read this. <laughs> I loved that um, book. So I like I really I enjoyed the book. I thought it was um it was really solid. Um and the one of the reasons I'm shouting it out, and also I feel like is is timely to the fact that I brought up some concerns about indigenous appropriation in the film, is that this book is complete is written by and of the perspective of and in the world of indigenous people. And I think that um at least in sort of more mainstream sci-fi worlds, we don't get a lot of that perspective. And there's something really, truly riveting and exciting about entering this space and being invited into this world in a way that, like, I just, I don't get. I, y'all, I read a lot of genre <laughs> and sci-fi, right? Like, it's almost all I read. Um, and so I was really delighted to 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 have the opportunity to read this. Um, someone on Twitter actually recommended it to me. I don't remember who. Um, and the story is about this young woman who is a monster hunter, which like, look, I don't like monster hunter vamp, uh, not vampire. I'm, I'm fine with the vampire story, uh, zombie stories and like that whole thing. But this that wasn't it was so not central to this story. It was so much about this woman, um, her her talents and what that means to her and her identity and like coming of age and trauma and her relationships with other people and her relationships to like the land and the community at large. And um, yeah, I was into it. I don't, I, cause you've read it. I don't know if you want to add anything. Yeah. Um, oh shoot. Sorry. Yeah. I thought it was just such a, a brilliant, like kind of fusion of different genres. It's like a post-apocalyptic world. It's, you know, a magical it's a world where kind of magic has kind of come back, I guess. And, you know, I read it when it came out, so I'm a, it's been a, a while, but I just, I love the main character and she, you know, Rebecca is so good at like creating characters that just grab you right on the front first page and just like kind of drag you along. And, you know, I feel like the thing at the beginning where they come to her and they're like, save our little girl from this monster. And she starts haggling with them. Yeah. I thought that was just so like, oh my God, I want to know more about this character. This is really intense. And it just, it got wilder and wilder, but never just kind of, it always felt like a cohesive world and like a really, like I was always right there with the main character. And uh, if you haven't read Rebecca Roanhorse's more recent book, Black Sun, that is very worth hunting down. It is such an incredible book. It's it's one of my favorite books the last couple of years, and I cannot recommend it enough. It is so great. I have actually, I've heard that. I'm going to put that immediately on my to read list. Um, I Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, and yeah, I forgot that opening scene is is low. It's great. Go go check it out, everybody. Um, <laughs> all right, so that's it. If y'all want to submit your own freakouts, you can at feministfrequency.com slash freakout. That's F-R-E-Q-O-U-T. Thank you so much for listening to Feminist Frequency Radio. Charlie Jane Anders, where can people learn more about you where can they follow you on things what do you want to plug i'm uh charlie jane on twitter um and also i'm at charliejane.com and on instagram i'm charlie jane anders and uh you know if you're listening to this before april 13th you could still pre-order victories greater than death and get like free swag in the mail and my pinned tweet has all the information about that and if you're listening to this after then you can still buy the book which you should you do. certainly um, can it will be available for <laughs> sale for a while hopefully 
Don't you have another book coming out this year, too? I have two other books coming out this year. Gosh, Uh, (laughs) I have a book coming out in August called Never Say You Can't Survive. And it's like a collection of essays about how to use creative writing to get through really hard times. And then in November, I have a book coming out called uh, Even Greater Mistakes. And that's my short story collection. And it's like 20 short stories um, from like the last dozen years or so of my career. Wow. I mean, we're sitting here being like, how does anyone get anything done? And look Ah. at you. (laughs) Well, one, will you come back on when those books are coming out? So we have like an excuse to have you back. It would be my pleasure. And then just reminder to everyone, the bonus this week is going to be public. So just mosey on over to that. We're going to talk a little bit more in detail about Charlie Jane's career and uh, and these books. So join us for that. Next week, we're going to be talking about something and we don't know what yet. So it'll be a surprise to all of us. (laughs) But we'll be back next week with Ebony because I know y'all miss her too. Our show is engineered by Rob Para. Carrie Stimson provides technical support, artwork by Jamie Varon, and our intro music is by Phil Circus. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.